The power struggle happens when we are trying to impose our priorities on our kids. And so often, the way we do that is with these very heavy-handed approaches. And it's not sustainable. They may comply, they may submit initially, but over time, they will push back. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex Podcast. Today, I'm really, really excited to be talking to Amy McCready of Positive Parenting Solutions. I've been following Amy for a long time now and really love the work that she's doing. And I'm so excited that we get to share some of that with all of you who are listening. Thanks for being here, Amy. Do you want to start by letting everyone know who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Penny, thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat to be on with you. So for your listeners who don't know me, I'm Amy McCready. I'm the founder of Positive Parenting Solutions. We provide online parenting training for parents of toddlers to teens all over the world. I feel like I've been doing that forever. Um, I'm also the author of two parenting books, If I Have to Tell You One More Time and The Me, Me, Me Epidemic. I also serve as a parenting contributor for the Today Show, as well as other national media outlets. And I'm a mom of um, two grown-up men, and I have a new daughter now. So it's just my thrill to be able to work with parents and really help them make their parenting life more fun and less stressful and just to bring out the best in their kiddos, just like what you do day in and day out. Yeah, yeah. And it's fun work to help people, isn't it? I think. Let's talk about no guilt, no yelling parenting, (laughs) which we all need. You talked about reducing the stress and oh boy, that's a big piece of it, I think, is is feeling confident in what we're doing as parents so that we don't feel like we have to resort to yelling or we don't feel bad about the way that we're handling things. Do you want to maybe talk us through a little bit about what you mean by no guilt, no yelling parenting? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think as parents, we tend to put so much pressure on ourselves. And that's why we feel that sense of guilt, right? We always mm-hmm. feel like we're never living up to the shoulds. I, you know, I should be more patient. I should be less of this. You know, it's just so much pressure that we put on ourselves. So I like to help parents with that. But what I really like to focus on is giving them tools so that they don't have to yell. They don't have to raise their voice. I refer to myself as a recovering yeller or a former yeller because (laughs) that was really my default when my kids were younger. I would get, like all parents do, you get frustrated with their behavior, you get angry, whatever. And because I didn't have a good toolbox to fall back on, I would resort to nagging and reminding and yelling. And in my work over the years with parents, I find that that is their biggest pain point, the yelling. And they Mm -hmm. feel so guilty about that. No parent wants to do that. And no kid enjoys it. And so I always tell parents, like, we're never going to be perfect. I'm not going to tell you you're never going to yell. But my goal for parents is I want them to think, hmm, you know, it's been so long since I yelled at my kids, I can't even remember. So that takes a while. But we're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for progress and feeling like we are just rocking this parenting thing. We're never going to be perfect, but we are rocking it. 
Yeah, yeah. I love that you brought up that we're never going to be perfect because I think we live in a culture that really pushes perfection (laughs) and always striving harder and harder and harder for that. And, you know, there is no perfection. And it's something we talk a lot about here on this podcast. We also talk a lot about yelling and how that actually escalates behavior. It's funny to me now that I'm also a reformed yeller (laughs) and I can stand back, right, and look at those situations. It's amazing to me now that I thought, and I really wasn't choosing, right, this was reactive behavior, but that I am responding in the way that I'm upset for my kid to be doing to me in the first place, right? And in the way that I don't want them to behave. So I'm modeling the opposite of what I actually want when I'm yelling at my kids. Absolutely. Yes. We want our kids to control their emotions and control their behaviors, but we can't do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, you know this, you talk about this all the time, that, you know, when that reptilian brain is activated, we're not thinking logically, we're not reasoning, we're not making decisions, we are totally in response mode. And, you know, when we do that, when we yell, we create that stress response in our kids. And so then they can't think logically or rationally. And it just creates this vicious cycle that leaves everyone feeling badly. And then it really is not effective in actually changing the behavior that we were frustrated about in the first place. Yeah, it doesn't resolve anything, right? Because we can't problem solve when our thinking brain is offline. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the two basic emotional needs that parents and kids have. I think this leads really into some strategies for no guilt and no yelling. Yes. So everything that we teach to parents in our program is based on the work of Adlerian psychology and positive discipline. And and within the Adlerian psychology realm, we always talk about the two core emotional needs that all human beings have, not just children, those being belonging and significance. And so when we refer to belonging, that's that need for emotional connection with the people who are most important to us. So for kids, obviously, it's for you know their parent or parents with their siblings. Even in the classroom, they need to have that sense of emotional connection, mm-hmm. that sense of I belong here. I understand my place in this family, in this classroom, in this community. We all have that need for belonging and emotional connection. And then the other piece of that is significance. And that is the sense of agency. Like I, as a child, I make a difference. I contribute in meaningful ways. I have some sense of age-appropriate control over my own life. So circumstance doesn't just happen to me. I have some agency in that. And for any human being, when their sense of belonging is not, um, they don't have strong sense of belonging or their sense of significance, personal agency, power and control, they don't have a positive sense of that, they will behave and respond in ways to try to have that emotional need met. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they don't realize that's what they need and they don't realize that's why they're doing it, but it explains a lot of the behaviors that we see in our kids. If we're not giving them sufficient positive attention and emotional connection, will tend to see that attention-seeking behavior. They're not doing it on purpose. They're just through trial and error trying to figure out what it's going to take to have that need met. Or when kids are pushing our buttons and you know, trying to have control over a situation, they're, they're trying yeah. to have that need met, but they don't know how to go about it positively and productively. So 
So much of what we do is helping parents understand, just like you do, that all behavior is telling us something. And if we can sort of dig into why the behavior is happening in the first place, then we can be much more strategic and effective in the strategies that we use, the parenting strategies, the discipline strategies. Yeah. And, and I love that you bring up the sense of belonging and the sense of agency, because I think that's even more critical for our neurodivergent kids. Mm-hmm. They often struggle with that more. They struggle to connect with others sometimes or to have meaningful relationships. They definitely struggle with having some agency. You know, everybody's telling them what to do and how to do it. And when that doesn't work for them, we don't open the door for them to take control and, and tell us what they need, right? We we just keep trying to make them fit in that box. And so as a parent, being very aware of the fact that these are the critical emotional needs of our kids when we're raising neurodivergent kids is really, really important. So I'm so glad that you highlighted that. Yeah. And to really make it simple for parents, I like to kind of take it down to two buckets, you know, attention and power. And or maybe we can call it attention and control, whatever sort of resonates mm. with you. But if we can really think about filling those two buckets with our kids every day, that one-on-one positive attention, so they don't have to demand our attention in inappropriate ways, and then giving them that sense of agency and control and positive power, focusing on those things on a daily basis makes a world of difference in our kids' behavior. There's there's two kind of simple things to really work on, but it makes such a difference in behavior. And it's so proactive. (laughs) And I just had an amazing aha as you were talking about that in that we had an episode with Kirk Martin a while back of Celebrating Calm, and he was talking about sibling issues and resolving sibling quarrels and fights. And his big perspective on that was that it's often out of boredom or trying to get a need met that they're suddenly, you know, in the throes of discontent with siblings and and that you need to take them aside and kind of, you know, make them your helper or, and it's really, it's exactly what you're talking about, giving them the attention and the control that they need. And it, we're just seeing them, what we would say, act out in situations where they don't have that like they need that deep down inside right it's an internal sort of drive so it can happen as you were saying sort of automatically you know we talk a lot about polyvagal theory in the autonomic nervous system and the way that behavior isn't often intentional it's our body's response it's biological and So, you know, we have these needs and when they're not met, our biology kicks in, right? And it drives us to get these needs met. Absolutely. And, you know, I like for parents when I'm in a class with them, if we're talking about a particular behavior, I'll ask them, you know, if your child in their four-year-old or 14-year-old voice, if they could articulate if they were aware of what they're feeling and what they're needing, what would their four-year-old or their 14-year-old voice tell you? And really trying to have the parent see it from the child's perspective. You know, I'm feeling out of control or I don't feel like I have spent any time with you. I feel like that when we're together in the same room that you're multitasking, you know, either, you know, scrolling on your phone or even multitasking in your mind. I don't feel like you're here with me, mom or dad. Mm -hmm. And so kind of putting it in the child's voice is so important. The one other thing that you mentioned, Penny, was the sibling issue. And and kind of back to that attention bucket, 
One of the things that we find is that when parents are proactive in doing daily, we call it mind, body, and soul time. Mind, body, and soul time is 10 or 15 minutes with each child when you are one-on-one, fully present in mind, body, and soul, and doing what the child wants to do. So it's not a parent-directed activity. It's whatever Mm -hmm. the child loves to do for that 10 or 15 minutes. If we are doing that on a daily basis, we give them that sense of emotional connection, that there's nothing more important in the world in these 15 minutes and this time that I'm spending with you. And the beauty of that is that the sibling rivalry really starts to, I mean, it doesn't go away forever, but Mm -hmm. it it is reduced because so much of the sibling fighting, you mentioned boredom, which is a huge piece of it. And another piece of it is competing for the parent's attention. And so when we provide that up front, it gives them that hit of positive attention, but it's also very regulating. Yeah. You know, when you have that emotional connection with the people that are important to you, it just regulates your central nervous system. And we just find that the tantrum type episodes are reduced. So many of those frustrating up and down emotional situations that we get into really start to be reduced because it's just so emotionally regulating for the child. They're already there. Yeah. You've already set the foundation. Yeah. I love that you call it mind, body, and soul time. I love it. It's so good. And, you know, we don't talk about being proactive in this way often enough, I don't think. I don't think it's something that is necessarily a natural thing to do as a parent. We want to spend time with our kids, but we kind of do our best with that. And I don't think we really just sit down and consciously think about the fact that we can meet our kids' needs proactively And not only maybe thwart some behavior issues, but also help them to feel good about themselves and to grow and develop and, you know, all the good things that we really want for our kids. So I love that we're talking about that. I think it's so, so important and valuable. You know, one other just quick little point. I just keep talking about this, uh, keep going on and on. But so often, you know, we're spending time with our kids, but it's with the kids together, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, or family time. And and that's all important and great. But the magic happens in the one-on-one time. That's where you see the biggest changes in terms of that emotional regulation and the, um, you know, the improved behavior, fewer, less um, sibling rivalry. The magic is in the one-on-one. Yeah. Even though we're still doing the family time as well. Yeah. It's super, super important when we have kids with differences because they get more of our time and energy because they need more, right? They get more because they need more. But when you're a kid and you're seeing that and it feels competitive almost as a sibling, Mm -hmm. it's super hard, right? So yeah, I love that we're talking about that too. It's really, really important that our kids know that we value time with just them too. It makes them feel Mm -hmm. so special and important. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to take a minute to talk about Mightier. Mightier is a clinically proven mobile gaming app, which was developed at Boston Children's Hospital. It's already helped more than 100,000 kids. One of the things that's so great about Mightier, it empowers both parents and kids, and it's all done through play. So how does it work? Kids play on a tablet or a phone while wearing a heart rate monitor. And Mightier incorporates breathing exercises and other calming techniques as part of the game. Kids get to see when it's time to cool down and learn how to do it themselves. And parents get to track their progress. Boom, empowerment. 
With time, those calming skills become muscle memory. All it takes is 15 minutes a day, three days a week, and 87% of parents see improvement in 90 days. So check out mightier.com penny to learn more about the science and how Mightier works. That's mightier.com penny. Let's pivot a little bit. I know you talk about some truth bombs in your program, and I want to talk about some of those a little bit because I think that they're really, again, all of these little tidbits that you're giving us are are sort of like tick points on our compass, and they're going to help us do some of that foundational work or make some shifts that are really going to help that are also, you know, within the realm of positive parenting, which you and I both feel like is the right way to parent, for lack of a better word in the moment. (laughs) The best, that doesn't sound any better. So let's talk a little bit about some of these truth bombs, these things that I think really make us adopt the right perspective on behavior, which is so, so important. One of my favorites is parent priorities are not the same as kid priorities. Yes, it's one of my favorites too, because it took me so long to figure this out. And with all of these truth bombs, your listeners are going to think, duh, yeah, like, so what, right? But when you think about how these truth bombs relate to your kid's behavior, it's so eye-opening. Like, just that statement, parent priorities are not the same as kid priorities. Mm -hmm. You know, your kids don't care if they wear clean underwear. They don't care if the wet towel is on the bathroom floor. Those are our priorities. They don't care if the family jobs, chores, whatever you call them, get done. Those are our priorities. And the rub, the power struggle happens when we are trying to impose our priorities on our kids. Yep. And so often, the way we do that is with these very heavy-handed approaches, and it's not sustainable. They may comply, they may submit initially, but over time, they will push back. And that's where we get into these giant power struggles. We have to remember that parent priorities are not the same as kid priorities, and that leads me to another truth bomb, which is that human beings are born with free will. Again, Mm -hmm. we all intellectually know that, but think about what that means for your kids, whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical, You know, whether your child is 18 months old or 18 years old, the decision on whether or not to cooperate with you, to take responsibility, to do the right thing, it's always their choice in the end, right? We think Mm -hmm. we can make them behave and threaten them and all of bribe them, whatever, whatever strategies you're using, we think we can make them submit to our will, but they have free will. And while they may go along temporarily, it's never a sustainable solution. And so that's why making sure that we're using strategies that work with their hardwired need for power and control is so important. Yeah, that ties right back into that control piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I I tell parents all the time, you know, you have to give your kid a sense of control. You may be worried about the choices that they'll make, and you can sort of set boundaries and manage that, but we can't just dictate to kids and expect them to follow. (laughs) They're not made that way. Nobody is. No. You know, and, and I think just, again, culturally, we're taught that kids are a reflection of us and that they're sort of these little clones of us and they're supposed to be like us because there are kids and none of that is necessarily true. You know, I'm always talking about parenting individuals, teaching individuals. Like we need to start recognizing that kids 
are their own little people. They need our guidance and help and love and support and connection, right? But they need to also be themselves and we need to give them that power and control to do that. Absolutely. And I always say too, if we expect kids to do what's important to us, whether that's picking the towel up off the floor or folding the laundry or emptying the dishwasher, whatever, the doing mm. your homework, whatever those things are, if we want them to do what's important to us, our priorities, then we also need to make sure that we're doing what's important to them. Again, which comes back to that whole mind, body, and soul time, the attention bucket, taking the time, treating them as individuals. So it all, it, you know, it's all connected, but just trying to force our will on them is never going to work. Yeah. And we see that more once they get to be teens, <laughs> like it, it really just sort of stops, right? And so often we just think of that as a teen thing, but I think that's just when they've had enough and they finally really assert themselves. Absolutely. And, and you made the comment about choices earlier. You know, we can call all the shots, you know, we can give all the direction and tell our kids what to do, but then of course they never get practice in that. And then, you know, down the road, when they are teenagers, then we're, you know, scared to death yeah. because of their poor decision making or the choices they're making, that sort of thing. So the more that we can give them choices, agency, control, whatever you want to call it, over the little things where the stakes are not as high, yep. the more practice they can get in that, you know, they're going to have much better decision making skills when they get into the teen years where the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's so true. I wanted to talk to you about with blame, shame, and pain punishment. We create an environment that virtually guarantees kids will lie. Lying is such a huge hot button issue, especially for ADHD, but I think in the neurodivergent realm in general. And we attach such judgment to lying. So I love that you really address this by saying that we set them up for this. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that one? Yes, absolutely. So let me start by just sort of defining what we mean by blame, shame, and pain punishment. This is actually a positive discipline definition. You may be familiar with the work of Jane Nelson. She always defined punishment as, op as opposed to discipline, but she defined punishment as any tactic that would cause the child to feel blame, shame, or pain. That could be physical pain. It could be emotional pain, feeling shame when the parent makes the child feel guilty, shameful about what they've done. All of those strategies make us feel bad, make us close down. We completely lose the learning opportunity with our kids when that happens because it's like that wall goes up that they just have to protect themselves. It's an, a completely instinctual reaction, whether you're a little person or a senior citizen, you protect yourself from that blame, shame, and pain. Mm -hmm. But when you think about what happens when a kid messes up, makes a mistake, makes a poor choice, if we as the parent come in with blame, shame, and pain punishment and you know, guilt and threats and you know, whether that's physical or emotional pain, the child learns that, oh boy, that's a really bad thing. And so if I mess up, if I make a poor choice in the future, I want to avoid that blame, shame, and pain at all costs. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to lie to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And for so many of our kids, especially the ADHD kids, the, the lying almost is reflexive, right? Yeah. But for all kids, over time, they learn that 
lying is a way to avoid an unpleasant situation. Adults lie for the exact same reason. So I always tell parents, like, lying is a perfectly reasonable kid response. Yes. Don't get totally wigged out about it. But recognize that, and that's the truth bomb, if you are using blame, shame, and pain punishment, if you are using fear and manipulation to affect behavior, you're creating an environment that virtually guarantees our kids will lie to you. Instead, if we create a safe environment for the truth, right? If you make yeah. it okay to make mistakes and you know, create that safe environment where they feel comfortable when they mess up coming and telling you, that's a completely different scenario. And, and even for those reflexive liars, you know, it's going to happen. You made the comment about it, it's such a judgment issue, right? They're not a bad person. Yep. Something came out of their mouth before they even thought about it, and we just deal with it. But we don't have to have all that blame, shame, and pain around it. But to your point, parents just get so panicked when kids lie. And that's when they come down heavy with the punishments. And, you know, they feel like kids have to suffer for them to learn not to do that behavior in the future. Yeah, and it's that authoritarian parent model that we all seem to think is what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and it's so unhelpful and unhealthy. And it sort of boggles my mind now that we ever thought that that was a good thing to do. Or, but, you know, it's just almost sort of hardwired into a lot of people. And it's really hard for parents to back that up and turn it around, especially if you were raised by an authoritarian parent. You know, it gets so ingrained in you, and it's really hard to sort of pause and say, okay, I want to handle this differently. I want to respond in a different way. I, you know, something else might work better. It can be really challenging. It takes a lot of practice. Like you were saying at the very beginning, it takes time to make these shifts in your parenting, and it's okay if it's just a little bit at a time, but you'll get there, you know, knowing better means doing better. So even for parents who are like, okay, I'm going to do positive parenting, and they're really trying to adhere to the positive parenting strategies on the topic of lying, that's where they revert back to the authoritarian approach. Mm -hmm. Because they just think, I, you know, we just can't have this, we just can't have it. And so the only way to shut that down is to get tough and go back to, it's like that reflexive reaction back to the author authoritarian yeah. um, parenting style. So it's really fascinating. So creating that safe environment for the truth takes practice and it takes time. And so do not be discouraged, parents, as you're trying to move in that direction for your kids to still be lying because they don't really trust it yet. They don't trust that new safe environment for the truth. And that paradigm will take some time to change, but that will shift over time. And you'll be so happy that you made that move. Yeah, yeah. And allowing for imperfection too. You know, we're talking about, you know, providing an environment for truth, but we also have to provide the environment for making mistakes and it being okay. And I know we've talked a little bit about that before, but it just brought me right back to that as you were talking we have to let our kids see that we're human beings too. And we make mistakes too, because if they never see us make a mistake, then when they make mistakes, are they really going to want to come and tell us that they made a mistake? <laughs> no, they're going to want to try to cover it up, right? So <laughs> yeah, I think those go hand in hand. Yeah. And I'm just such a proponent of, you know, really coming clean with your kids, you know, early and often, mm -hmm. whether you raise your voice or you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that was not your best parenting moment, like really come clean with that and just say, hey, I just want to tell you that the way I just talked to you a few minutes ago about the whatever, like that wasn't okay. I was short with you. I yell at whatever it was. And 
And I want to let you know that I'm working on that. And this is what I'm going to try to do in the future so that doesn't happen again. Of course, we don't say, you know, I yelled at you because you left your backpack on the floor. We're not putting it on the child. We take personal responsibility for that. But what great modeling that, you know, we're not perfect. We mess up all the time. And when we do, we come clean and it's cool. And you can do the same thing when you mess up. Yeah, so, so powerful. Great stuff. I want to get to one of my other favorite truth bombs, which was, misbehaving is never just a kid problem. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I think about 95% of it is our parenting. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so I don't know whether you had this situation, but when my kids were younger and I was really struggling with behavior and my kids were just, they just did the normal kid stuff. I just wasn't equipped with tools to direct that in a more positive way. But I was just so sure that I had to like learn these strategies to fix my kids. And what I learned pretty quickly is that, you know, so as you said, so much of it is our parenting and our responses. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we have parents do who take our online course is go through a parent personality assessment. And that helps you identify which aspects of your personality may invite different responses or behaviors from your kids. Mm -hmm. So as an example, like I'm super controlling. I score like off the charts on the controlling end of the spectrum. And it's no surprise that I had a lot of power struggles with my kids before I learned, you know, how to manage that more effectively. So we always say that misbehavior is never just a kid problem. We own at least 50% of it, if not more. Yeah. But that is actually a really exciting thing because once you are aware of how your personality and your communication style is inviting certain behaviors in your kids, then you have the power to change that. So while we're 50% of the problem, we're also at least 50% of the cure as well. And so that's nothing to feel bad about. It's actually a great opportunity. And just with some very simple tweaks, parents can see a pretty quick improvement in behavior and they feel better about it as well. So it's good news on all fronts. Yeah, and it really goes to show that we do have more control as parents than we think we do. You know, when we can't specifically control our kids' behavior, we think that we don't have control as a parent. But actually, it's that we're just not going about it in maybe the most effective way. Because if we figure out how to change what we're doing, and that affects behavior in a positive way, then guess what? We just had control over it, right? We're just coming at it from a different angle that's so much more effective. Absolutely. And then you're modeling more effective Mm -hmm. communication strategies with your kids, which, you know, over time, they'll start to pick up on those as well. Yeah. So much amazing information that you've shared in such a small amount of time. And I'm so grateful I want to ask you, as I do with each guest now at the end, what is one action item that parents can walk away from listening and immediately implement? What is something that they can do? Well, I have to say mind, body, and soul time because Mm. I just strongly believe that if there's a silver bullet in parenting, that is it. When we give that 10 to 15 minutes of one-on-one time, that's one parent, one child, no other distractions. If you have a partner, they're not around, your phone's not around, you're fully present in mind, body, and soul doing what the child wants to do. Mm -hmm. That fills that sense of belonging and significance. Behavior improves. The relationship improves. It helps with emotional regulation. It's just the silver bullet if there ever was one. It's a little magic for sure. It is. I love that. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, we give so much information and 
people also need to know, okay, well, what do I do with that now? So at the end of each episode, we like to give them a little piece of action that they can take. Yeah. And the other thing, I don't want parents to feel overwhelmed by that. You know, that can happen during the bedtime routine, during the tuck-in routine. Mm -hmm. As long as it's one-on-one, you're fully focused in mind, body, and soul, as opposed to like rushing them through the routine. But I also like to label it at the end. So you can call it Sophie and mommy time, or you can call it mind, body, and soul time, or whatever word you want to use, but brand it because it reminds your child, yes, she spent that time with me. He filled my attention and power bucket. It's so powerful when we label it at the end of each time together. I love that. That's so amazing. Changing little lives, for sure. I know it will. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about what you offer, how parents can learn more from you. And then I will give them the link for the show notes where they can find all those links as well. Lovely. Thank you so much for asking. So if parents want to work with us and learn all of the tools in the toolbox and the scripts and everything that goes along with that, our online course is called the Seven Step Parenting Success System. And it's an online video course with lots of coaching and support. And they can learn more about that on our website at positiveparentingsolutions.com. And if they're not quite ready to jump into that, we also have a free one hour, it's actually about an hour and a half class, and it teaches parents how to use consequences really well. So Mm. if you're going to use consequences, if the situation is appropriate for that, we have a formula that is so respectful to the child, respectful to the parent, and really creates a learning opportunity for the future. It's not about blame, shame, and pain punishment for the past. So parents can take that free class. It's called Get Kids to Listen Without Nagging, Yelling, or Losing Control and learn the strategies there. I'm going to take that class. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> Honey, I think you are awesome. just fine. I just love all the work that you do and all oh, the support you. that you give to parents. Working hard at it. I know it's you a are. learning process, right? I mean, parenting is a journey. It's not, <laughs> we're, we're definitely not perfect. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and I'm sure you feel the same way I do. Even with grown up kids, you're always learning new strategies. So that's pretty exciting too. Yes. And I'm so fortunate to be able to do a podcast and online summits where I get to learn a lot of things from a lot of people like you. And I'm constantly learning in every conversation, even though I've been, you know, up to my eyeballs in the ADHD community for, oh gosh, 14 years or so now. So I'm still learning. We're always going to learn. It's just part of life. Absolutely. So everyone listening to get the link to Amy's website, social media, the course and the free class as well. You can go to the show notes for this episode, which are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 178 for episode 178. Again, I just want to thank you so much, Amy, for sharing a little bit of yourself with everyone listening and helping the families out there. Penny, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners. It's such a privilege to be with you, and I'm just so grateful for all the important work that you're doing. Right back at you. Agreed. (laughs) I will see everyone on the next episode. Take good care. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com. (laughs) 